Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's GoodLifeBabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans, episode 147. I don't have headphones. You can hear me too. Hey folks, welcome back. It's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel Stales from New Orleans. We have Ethan Ellistad here with us from the Music and Culture Coalition of New Orleans. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a... Let me just let out a heavy sigh right now. <laughs> some wash, rinse, and repeat shit going on right here. <laughs> some wash, rinse, and repeat uh, public policy shit that's going on in the city oh, of New Orleans. Just go back to that... episode 101 or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, yeah right, right, exactly. I mean, uh, last year... Um, there was an ordinance that was introduced by whom introduced Who, uh, it last time? Stacey Head. Stacey Head. At request of Mitch Landry. At the request of the then mayor, Mitch Landry. And it was essentially this, that um, if you were deemed a nuisance bar, whatever that means, um, which is anybody who complains about your bar and through some kind of randomized calculation, if you live within a half a mile of of this institution and the city deems you to be a nuisance bar through some kind of crazy machination, um, then you somehow have to install cameras inside and outside your bar, potentially inside, but definitely outside your bar that feed into a central real camera, time crime real time center. crime center right. that, uh, that the city of New Orleans um, started in the last year of... Uh, of Mitch Landry's term, mm-hmm. and which seems to be going full steam, and that the NOPD seems to be like a thousand percent behind that. Uh, some that somehow these uh, cameras are working effectively to mm-hmm. identify and locate criminals, you know, or something like that, you know. But of course, it uh, it begs the question, like you know, you're you're making an assumed tie-in between. Uh, bad activities that happen in the city right. and local bars, you right. know, which there isn't any data to support that. Um, there isn't any data to support anything uh, along the lines of this kind of measure being put in place as a, I don't know, as a punitive measure? Is it, mm-hmm. is it, is it something that is permanent? You know, like, like no matter what, if the bar is open for X amount of years and it's the same owner mm-hmm. across owners, these cameras have to stay, and you have to you have to somehow surrender your constitutional rights for the activities that are happening inside your bar, which are ostensibly private activities right. um, of patrons who are coming into a, a public space, but a private business, mm-hmm. um, which would be the same expectation of privacy, for instance, if you went into a building downtown mm-hmm. or something like that. Now, while it's okay to have surveillance cameras for the business owners for their own practical reasons, like if somebody busts in right. and decides to steal a bunch of money, like if you're uh, at a bank or something like that, then they can submit that and almost universally businesses do do that in cooperation right. with the police in order to unless somehow they are nefariously also involved in the crime that occurs but um um that system seems to work very well <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's all the incentive in the world to offer that stuff most bars already have uh surveillance cameras and are happy to work with law enforcement if something uh bad goes down because it almost always is to the detriment of the business itself when something 
negative occurs, you know, in the in the near vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that being said, um, it presented very clearly yet another danger in my mind to musicians and to culture bearers and to uh, <clears throat> uh, service industry workers in the city of New Orleans, the kind of thing that we need to be going away from rather than cuddling mm-hmm. up to. Um, and that uh, proposal got defeated last year um, in large part due to efforts uh, on behalf of that uh, MACNO did on behalf of the community. And, uh, and now, and, and now uh, we have a new city council and the new city council uh, suddenly uh, fired up the engines of this idea yet again. And, and, and just if I can clarify real quick and let me know if I'm right on this, Ethan, um, that, that um, ordinance that got shot down nine months ago um, was going to mandate that all ABOs get the cameras you didn't have to have a violation correct on the now, exterior yeah. so so now they're saying on the exterior now yeah. they're going to make the camera thing come in as a mandatory if you have a violation which gets back to your first point jeff about the person making you know five people making complaints mm-hmm. that live within a half a mile of the thing of your establishment but anything we got to turn it over to you but i just got to say real quick quick that my favorite absurdity and this ocean of absurdities mm-hmm. is that you mentioned Jeff. What are they going to use this footage for? You know, then you brought up points about like why would you use footage after the fact for crimes, whatever. Right, right. One of the things is they're going to monitor the footage, cameras that aren't recording sound, to determine to help determine if there are noise violations in those establishments. Right, correct. Cameras that don't record sound, that that footage will be used to help determine. As as per the director of safety and permits, they can use it. And his caveat is, well, now we can see if there if it's a false complaint. But um, if you can't record sound, well, how would you know anyway? But also, if you're looking for things, if you can't record sound and you're looking for sound violations, you're looking for things that produce sounds. You're re- looking for people with instruments. You're looking for a DJ station. You're looking for a lot of people you think might be loud. Right. But there's no actual way to know if it's if it's true. You would know, for example, if a bar that was not licensed to have live music had a brass band. You could see that via this camera. Right. Um, and But you, however, could never tell if they were actually playing under the noise ordinance or That's not. That's right. Um, so it is absurd. And, 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 you know, I'm assuming they're going to walk that back, right, and say, well, you know, we'd only do it for blah, blah, blah. But it's the kind of thing you can't unsay. You can't say, well, we actually are going to use this to slippery look. Slippery slope. Too. Right, exactly. You can't unsay it. Um, Even in my understanding, speaking of that slippery slope, that I've heard a lot of people saying, well, look, they're not going to necessarily put you out of business for those five complaints. Oh, you my know, God. You can go and you can challenge it. Right. And you can make your case. It's a rebuttable assumption of guilt is what they That's create, exactly right? exactly what um, it is, yeah. And it, it creates, and if you, look, if you look at it, it creates this, this piece of it. So the ordinance is um, about 17 pages long. The last year's was 22. This one's 17. Yeah. Um, but and we did a full analysis of it, and our analysis is like eight pages long, right? So I mean, it's it's on our website, maccno.com, if you want to take a look at it, um, if you really get the minutia of it. And we have a we have a lot of the the, the biggest points up, up top, so you don't have to weed through seven pages of, of 
you know, the fact that it eliminates the need for a permit to create berry wine, which it does. Right. Um, and why did we have that in the first place? Well, I don't know. Wait, to do what now? What was it? It eliminates the permit needed you to create berry wine. Oh, um, okay. So I don't that, know. thank God that's coming off the books if this passes. So, right, right, right. But, exactly. Uh, and you know, there's a couple. There's a couple things that are good in the ordinance. They're just small, right? It actually allows resident resident aliens to open up a bar, not just a citizen, right? That's that's a small nice thing. It does, right? There's a couple other like little nuggets of goodness in a in a terrible you know. sure uh, but so a couple of things that it does um you know one is the backstory was introduced on what december 19th this year so last the previous one was introduced on december 1st it is right. december 19th why it's always right around the holidays that's it's interesting right um, before mardi gras right um and done without any sort of Nobody knew it was really happening. Um, you know, full disclosure, I got an email from a journalist saying, hey, what are your comments on this ordinance? Are you and I was like, wait a wow. minute, what ordinance? Wow. And then we looked, it's like, oh, right. Um, my comment is, it's bad. And so <laughs> we, we went through and, um, it, I mean, some of the language in there is verbatim. It's literally verbatim they from cut, the previous ordinance. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, my understanding is a lot of language comes from the state alcoholic to beverage um, control really or it comes from the city attorney's office yeah gotcha and that's where a lot of that comes from and i can't tell you which and i like i can't speak points but that's that's what we were told um but it does do these things like the five complaints and, and what's even more insidious about this is the five complaints from any resident or property owner within a half mile and i mean you think how big of an area that is but it's resident or property owner so you can you can be an airbnb owner that's and right. call a complaint against a, a business you think is maybe making your guests uncomfortable, right? So five, yeah, yeah. five complaints from different, you gotta be from different people within a half mile can do it. But it also says you could be a petition. So it's unclear if a petition with five signatures counts as five complaints. So right. if you can get, imagine getting five people to sign your petition within a half mile of a bar, like that's. I could call in right now and complain I, about Pal's Lounge. Right. Which is. Pal's Lounge is probably like right on the cusp of like a half mile from here, or like uh, the the one up the street here. See you know, yours, like the Jockey Pub, the Jockey's Pub. Right. You know, like like imagine like here, something right now is happening at the Jockey's Pub. Mm-hmm. There was there's no way on God's green earth that you would ever know that some incident was occurring. Mm-hmm. I, I see that as specifically um, a roadmap for conspiring neighborhood groups to be able to just get the five people that they need. I, I, I would actually I, agree with that. I, I think that that's exactly what that is, you yeah. know? And I, I mean, I can tell you, people will say, oh, well, the, you're, you're just, the neighborhood groups aren't so antagonistic like that. They don't do, do these kinds of things. And uh, But I can tell you yes. from my own experience that um, in our dust-up, when I had Lost Up Lounge with the Faubourg Barony Improvement Association, some internal emails were turned over to us, and I got to read the internal communications, and everything that you think, you know, in terms of Harbor Valley PTA-type tactics, is all it's all true. I mean, if they uh, feel threatened by the idea that their internal emails will uh, be exposed in some way, they'll jump out to a different email account and start communicating with each other that way. And even those emails got turned over to us and there was a conspiracy within that um, to use a lawyer who was next door to Lost Love Lounge to lodge uh, complaints against us to make us go broke. 
so that we would be pushed yeah, out of the that, neighborhood. That, that's a tactic. And they, they yeah, went after right. Cafe Istanbul, same, same organization went after yeah. Cafe Istanbul a few yeah. years later, right? That's uh, right, that's right. Yeah. And got the city to conspire, essentially, um, to bring charges in Cafe Istanbul. Only one because they had good legal assistance that worked very cheaply, if not pro bono, and got community, got community support. They got people to come out and make it an issue, right? And it, yeah. these little spots can't do that, right? Generally, they're not, they're not going to have the, the resources to do that. But what's, what was so insidious about this new ordinance too is it, it says five complaints create this rebuttable assumption that you are a nuisance bar or a danger to the health, safety, and welfare of the community, um, and it's a rebuttable assumption. But it puts the presumption of guilt onto, onto the business. And what That's it also right. does. There's a second piece of that that then says, if a bar is found to be a nuisance or a danger to the health, safety, and welfare of the community, the alcoholic beverage out license will will not will be revoked or not be renewed. So, what it so does, you have to act immediately. Yeah, and what it does is it says, if you get these five complaints, you can't disprove them, then we can take your license away. Right? It's direct pipeline to taking away a license. That's right. There's no other way to interpret it. It's exactly what it is. Well, um, that's that's the thing that I want. I'm glad you brought it back there because we've we've talked a lot in past episodes and at the top of this show about the video cameras. And I know there are probably people out there who listen to the show, who come here for Jazz Fest, who probably are on the fence about, oh, I don't know if I have, if the privacy video thing is such a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can have a nice discourse with people who might disagree with that. But we have to remember, this is first about taking away licenses and therefore shutting down music clubs. Right, and it works on the presumption first and foremost. that every, we can say this in our statement, it works on the presumption that every alcoholic beverage outlet is in potential nuisance. It doesn't That's say right. we're going to go after nuisance bars. It's saying, essentially saying all you these start nuisances. Out as a nuisance. Right, and so, and, and yeah, essentially, you're either a nuisance or a potential nuisance, so we're going to treat you as such. And if you screw up in any possible way, it really is what this new ordinance is, is like, there's one of the essentially says if you violate any function of city code, you could then be sanctioned, right? Right. If you don't put your trash out, you could be sanctioned. And right. so, what then, just to walk through a couple more pieces of it, there is this piece of it. It doesn't dictate that all ABOs must have monitored cameras. But what it says is, if you if you get a violation, the Alcoholic Beverage Control Board can then mandate that you install cameras on the exterior and interior that are monitored. And the catch with that is the Alcoholic Beverage Control Board is a seven-member board, not elected, appointed by the city council, that can then dictate which businesses get surveilled, and by extension, which populations get surveilled, which activities get surveilled. Mm-hmm. So it's open It's open to both conscious and unconscious bias, right? Yep. You can decide, I don't like these people, I don't like this activity, I don't like this kind of business, so I can, if they come up with a, with a litter violation, I could potentially order them to be surveilled in the interior of the bar, pipe to the police, right? Right. Like well, that, well, that bias, like Club Caribbean's fucked on by your road at two in the morning with their fucking well, that, 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 that is, You know what I mean? Right? That's I love cool Club city, Caribbean, right? But the fact that it's 2 a.m., and I love it too. Right. It's just the fact that it's 2 a.m., and it's black people, and there's food on the street, you know? Right. And it's five it's, neighbors and a half well, mile. It's well lit. It's safe. It's awesome. Yeah, I don't know of any problems they've, they've had there. That's I, I what think of, exactly. Right. Yeah. No problems ever. Right. In all right. the years that I've lived over right. there. Right. It's, right. it's super cool. But that's a type of place that would be right. endangered. And yeah, a neighbor moves in and, and that, that strip by your road is gentrifying, man. The whole totally. seven ward area is gentrifying. Exactly. You get it. Somebody, look, 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 say someone's got an Airbnb there. That's right. They don't like to see that the people outside 2 a.m. There's one complaint. Get a few more folks around. Yep. We saw what happened with Brandy's bar over here. I mean, yeah. the yeah. radio land didn't see it, but there was actually. Absolutely, neighbors conspired. They held up mug shots of the owner to try to criminalize her. They did all these things, and they ended up succeeding in getting them to, to um, 
Closed down. Essentially closed. Yeah, they closed down already. Um, it was within months because they they used their their privilege and their essential access to deny them the hours they needed to operate, which put them at a disadvantage and led to their closure. If they do that, you know, and there were at least five people I can think of involved, and I know partly because they posted comments about us in the comment section of NOLA.com um, anonymously, but not so anonymously. Right. Uh, and, but they went, you know, and they went, and there's at least five, and they got that done. So they could do that, those five people could do that to any ABO in the area of Broad in St. Bernard, I mean, and that's that's right, um, and and that's you know not acceptable. And I think with that piece, there's another piece where um, what it does is it doubles down on this. Um, it doesn't allow live entertainment in, in residential areas, which is I'll try to unpack it a little bit because um, it's sort of counterintuitive how it works. But there was a law passed in 1977 that forbid all neighborhood bars, um, essentially ABOs in any residential area, so residential business business districts and just residential districts from having live entertainment. Um, And the language was old. Instead of like, it said like cabaret and it said like nightclub and we don't use those terms technically like in New Orleans law anymore. So what it is, it updated the ordinance and said um, any live performance venue or I think any live performance secondary use, like if you have a bar and you occasionally have live music or if you have a restaurant and a piano player comes in, would be like a secondary. You don't come there for the music, but there's music there sometimes, or as a part of the experience. Any bar with live entertainment, secondary use, any business um, cannot get a liquor license in the residential area. But the catch is a restaurant could get a liquor license. A restaurant that has a piano player or a jazz brunch could not get a liquor license. And that's not what the original law does. Right. It was actually more um, restrictive of live entertainment in residential areas in New Orleans. And so, Part of the stuff is it's long, and it's, you've got to unpack it, you've got to look at it, and it's not something that you would look at and be like, okay, uh, that's a problem. But when you spend time with it and you look at it, and that's sort of what's so insidious about this kind of stuff is that it doesn't, and it's, I don't think this one was even intentional. Someone just tried to make the language modern, and by doing so, it's not, it's not exactly the same, and so it creates a new set of problems. That's right. So what we say is, why don't you just go back, if you want to do this, Let's re-examine all these Let's laws and figure, yeah, and, stuff and, and, and redo it in a way that makes sense mm-hmm. instead of just doing a clumsy update that ends up causing more problems than you than you originally did, um, not by design. There's a, it also right. in, it also increases the fines from one, um, fifty dollars to five hundred dollars to minimum of one hundred, maximum five hundred per violation per day. Yeah. So if you get caught putting your trash in the wrong spot, that's right. say for two weeks running, that's 14 days, and say they give you the maximum fine, 14 times 500 is math that I'm not going to do off the top of my head, but it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot, lot of, of money. money. And, and that's, that's, that's a death sentence for, for a small little bar that's profit margins are slim, right? 7,000, right, Spencer? The, the, the producer, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, I, I, there's there's so many. Uh, I, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but to me, there's so many constitutional questions. Right. This is so constitutionally dubious. Right, right, right. On right. so many fronts, right. right? Like, for instance, you're being surveilled. Uh, surveillance is being sent to the police when you enter a bar, unbeknownst to yourself. Right. Um, so there's that, There's a kind of a violation there. Like, you, you're not submitting uh, any kind of permission for, for that to happen. Uh, there's also, if that, 
the evidence gets used against you because presumably the cost and the maintenance of the cameras is going to be upkept by the bar owners themselves, then you're clearly uh, you're in violation of the Fifth Amendment because mm -hmm. if they find some kind of violation, then you've essentially incriminated yourself mm -hmm. by, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I mean they're, they're just so, like, and not, not to mention the, like, requiring people to surveil themselves. Right. You know, like, let's just get down to that right, right off the bat. Right. You know, like, I don't think that there's any other private institution that I can recall that, that has, or, or law that has ever been required in this sense. You know, do you know of anything else, anywhere no. else? Where, mm. like, like, in other words, like, if you were a, uh, I know in some other cities when we talked about it before that they were trying to get similar things like this done, but this seems to be the most the most aggressively regressive yeah. uh, uh, attempt at this kind of like weird, totally unconstitutional uh, attempt at, at privatizing surveillance, mm -hmm. making government not pay for it, but you as a private business owner pay for it, yeah, you're and right. to involuntarily offer surveillance to the to the government. You have to pay without to your patrons yeah. knowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all that. And so we did, a year ago, we looked at it. We looked at, um, I'll call it the camera requirements for alcoholic beverage outlets in the 50 largest cities in the country. And and we went through every requirement in, in all 50 cities. New Orleans is like the 49th largest. So I, I picked 50, and then I, as it was last year over the holidays, and I then immediately regretted picking 50, right? Because it was a right. lot of work, man. It's a lot of work. Um, right. But we went through and we found out that no other city requires surveillance in, in the inside of ABOs, and nobody else required all ABOs to do it. There was, there were a couple, there's, a lot, there's a lot of camera requirements that are like, you need to record and you need to keep the footage for X amount of days and, and whatever, but nobody has real-time surveillance and, and um, as, a, as a requirement for all spots. And then the way that it's adjudicated here is so problematic that you, seven people decide that hey you've got to put in cameras and there's no limits as to what violations could lead to cameras so you could be behind on your taxes and be forced to pay forced to put it in could, cameras it could be the trash can thing yeah it, it could, could be trash it could can be, be fines you, yeah you go on, you close up for two weeks in the middle of the summer as one does in New Orleans a business owner mm -hmm. and the trash cans are messed up for the 14 days and you get how much money. Seven thousand. Seven thousand. Yeah, seven thousand. Uh, <laughs> I thought that. And 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 you have to bring in the cameras when when you get back from uh, Isla Maris. Yeah, I mean exactly all of it. And the other things that so one thing it also does. Another thing is it ties it to what they call provisos. And a proviso is essentially the city council can can pass certain businesses that are individualized for your business. Certain restrictions that'll say like. Say just for a random example, you need to close by midnight every night, right? right? That's a proviso, and that gets as a part of your them granting you the business license, you have to abide by that. Yep. This ties <coughs> also liquor licenses to provisos, um, which is which are already. I mean, without getting too in the weeds of zoning, there's already ways that if you violate your provisos, they can revoke your the the use that they granted by giving you those provisos, right? There's already a mechanism to do that. But what's troubling is is at least one city council office that's using provisos to really limit, in a, in a way, scale we've never seen. So there was a, a business opening up on Magazine Street, and it was an immersive theater. It was in the news a couple months ago. They got approval to open, but they had a number of provisos that were like, 
I mean, I, I'm going to mischaracterize someone, but there was like a need for valet parking that was like huge, right? Um, like everyone that wanted a valet could have one, something like that. But also things like um, they had to monitor the decibel levels in a way that no other bar in the city or business in the city does. They had to measure um, base levels on the on the decibel scale, C weighting mm -hmm. decibels. The city doesn't measure that. No other business measures that. No. no one can measure it, but they are required to do it by law to get their to get open, which means if this passes, their liquor license could be revoked, or um, or they could be forced to put in these cameras if they don't measure this this decibel level that nobody else has to. Right. They have. They're the only business in the city that would. They've got to. There are things like. So it's um, inconsistent application correct. across the law. Correct. Which which again seems problematic and potentially legally. Um, Constitutionally so dubious. Yeah, yeah, dubious. And it's probably yeah. going to change from city council district to district. And it's going to change with a seven unelected board, ABA right. board people. It's going to change on bias. Well, correct. Well, here's another fundamental question Who owns the footage then? This is the other question. So if it feeds into a public database from mm -hmm. a private person, something that's paid for by a private individual that was required by the government, can then anybody just through Freedom of Information Act or by a uh, government records request, simply request a certain amount of hours of your footage and then begin to make a case against you? That's, it seems possible. I, don't, I mean, I don't know how they, why they, the but way you get the footage. But my point. Like, I don't yeah. think anybody, well, I the mean, lens you, got would some call, recently, you, you would call yeah. the police department, I suppose, and you would say, like, I'd like to have the footage, and I'm the Faubourg Marini Improvement Association. And I don't like this bar because they're, you know. I mean, whatever. I don't, I don't know the mechanism. I know the lens got, uh, the lens. If you're not familiar, is an investigative, local investigative, some newspaper slash website which you can yeah. look up. But they found they got footage of one of the um, public surveillance cameras, um, which that was used in a way that seems problematic. And I think they got that through an open records request. So is it? Yeah. Would it be possible to access interior private footage via public records request? I don't know, um, but the just the, the potential for abuse. Either way is big. I mean, it's huge. Somebody just watching it, and in theory, there there's oversight mechanisms. What does that mean? Imagine if you you know you want to. Who's oversight? Right, right, right. Let's talk so about many problems. who's oversight. Let's talk about the city of New Orleans. Two right? years. If, yeah. Let's talk about the city of New Orleans specifically. Yeah, right? rife with corruption already. If I was, for right. instance, yeah. wanting to run for a particular seat on the city council, and I was aware that a particular individual went to a certain bar who also was a city council person. Did we mention the jockey club? Can I, can I request that footage in order, in order to use it in a political campaign against that person to show that that person's over there drinking all the time? I believe somebody in Jefferson Parish did something like that. How about the, uh, <laughs> the new show Case Lounge across the street? Right, right. Seriously, man, if you're listening to city council rhymes with P, um, you might... You might want to consider that when you vote. No, I mean, th these are the kind of things, like, I mean, for real, like, you know, when you get it into dirty politics, I mean, it. we laugh about that being an implication of this, but it is an implication. In this town, it's an Im of course implication. It and and you know? I mean, literally in Jefferson Parish, someone, it wasn't publicly accessible, someone used private business footage to try to attack their rival, like from a coffee shop, right? Right. That, that right. happened last year yeah, during yeah. the same thing, and it was like... And Jefferson Parish may have access to this footage. Like, they don't specify. They say, quote-unquote, security partners. So in theory, someone from right. Jefferson Parish could actually request footage from these things if they had a case and end up getting footage, maybe even incidentally. That, That's right. What do you know? And, well, like, you know, I don't want to go too too deep down this conspiracy theory because there's so much 
much more blatant problems with it. That sure, this yeah. is a problem, well, exactly. a, a hypothetical problem, which is not as far-fetched as you would like in New Orleans, but there are a lot of <laughs> yeah. other problems. Because there are going to be people out there <laughs> like, what do y'all have to hide? Why don't you want cameras? Okay, yeah. that's fine. I can We can talk about that all day long. That's a problematic stance that you take, I think. But again, we're talking about being able to close down our our music institutions. You yeah. Know, the place the places, you know, as you always call them, are uh, Jeff, what do you call our incubators? Our music incubator incubators. clubs. Yeah, man. Yeah, because because that's that's the thing, is the that the onus seems to always fall on uh, these clubs that are in areas where they germinate organically and typically in New Orleans because it is such an idiosyncratic and unique city against the grain of this kind of like this philosophies that are behind um, entertainment overlay mm-hmm. districts and whatnot. So for instance, like the the Bayou Road area over here is an example of like what ought to, I don't know if Bayou Road has an overlay or not, but it's kind of the area right. that ought to yeah. in a way because it arose organically. You know, yeah, it's man. always has been this kind of hub and gentility totally. of these activities, right? But then you can look at another one that's like completely inorganic, which is like the Ferret Street yeah, overlay, totally. where they've just tried to like say, now it's hip and it's all about music on Ferret Street in this one corridor where it's not hip and it's not about music. And, where and, you and, have more. and you gotta shut down my midnight and you can't have go cups in this, but, but right, go ahead, right. it's cool. So, so, and that's another thing I wanna address too is that. We have a system whereby uh, we have uh, 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 ordinances that get passed by the city council that only have so much weight. And then we have what happens behind the scenes with the ABO and with the city attorney, which constitute a second set of laws effectively, right? So in other words, when you have an, an, when you have an entertainment overlay, yeah. what Ethan's talking about right now is not supposed to apply. You're supposed to be able to be open until 2 a.m. in the morning. It's supposed to provide a wall, as a matter of fact, around civic organizations being able to say, to provide these limitations, you know, and the city saying, we understand that that New Orleans is unique and we want to have these areas where we can have music clubs and whatnot. But it hasn't worked that way. Even when you have an overlay, sure. you have people beating, chipping away at these overlays in a, in a way that uh, suddenly you find yourself. So when you talk about um, Club Caribbean over here being, you know, uh, yeah, I would, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if at some point somebody uh, started raising concerns about that, you know. And so that's the kind of club that, that I'm talking about there where you could suddenly see a diminishing kind of, thing going on there where suddenly Club Caribbean's in trouble and we already saw the the one up the street uh, had to close right Brandy's yeah, yeah Brandy's yeah. had to close they didn't even get a chance to they open. didn't even they get a chance yeah, they, they to were, they open were closed, really right they were essentially yeah. closed as soon as they were they were on a uh, you know the idea wasn't even on the death table. row yeah, when, yeah, they, yeah, when, they, when they opened yeah, yeah, which exactly. is such a shame right, right right and so potential jobs that would have been there for sure uh, and musicians getting paid etc etc in the kind of space that New Orleans needs to incubate the next generation of things that are actually uh, typical of New Orleans um, is was was disallowed you know so that's a real cultural degradation and and that's as you know Ethan you know that's my pet peeve is like these 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 clubs like it's it was never the case in New Orleans that the the local music club um, 
arose out of like government saying that like you can place it here right. or you can place it there. It was the opposite of that. It was the opposite of that completely, right? You had this random uh, uh, sprouting up of clubs here and there, and you see through grandfathering the the legacy of that. Mm-hmm. You know, Tipitina's is a legacy of that. Le Bonton Roulet is a legacy of that. There's a whole host right. of clubs that are a legacy of that. Even Maple Leaf is yeah, a sure. legacy of that. But if you go and look at what those places would revert to after the six-month uh, shutdown in terms of zoning right now, like it would be very hard, so, I think, in all three of those instances to reopen a music club yeah, in any of those. The, uh, it's the Donna's Corollary. Yeah, yeah the Donna, Donna's is one. The Donna's, Donna's is just, a, just right. vacant and, and people graffiti at the moment. But I think it's two examples that came up um, really recently... Um, and these are both well before my time in New Orleans, like, which is true, but um, Benny's Bar, uh, right, which was yes, yes. essentially yeah. where Galactic got their start, right? Yeah. Um, and, Pro- prophylactic Galactic. Right? Yeah, and, that's right. And look what happened. Ultimately, they, they did it, and then they bought Tipitina's, right? Like, right. look at the progression of exactly. that, right? right. Yeah. Like, because yeah. those guys yeah. had that What a place. failure. Right, exactly. Those yeah. guys had that right. place to learn how to play. Exactly, their, and their do, their do their thing, and... And, uh, and now Which that's a house. they were learning. Right. This. And now that's a house, right? Now right. somebody... And the other one that just came up is I just went to the Offbeat um, Business Awards last yeah. week. And Walter Wolfman Washington got his, got his Lifetime Achievement Award, right? Yeah. They got their thing this week. But um, they talked about... What's the spot that was right under Dorothy's Medallion that was on... Um, like Orleans, and they talked about like he and John Cleary used to go. Tyler's. Uh, was that his? No, no. It was, like, it, was like, it was like... I think it's 3232 Orleans, um, which is like right... By the bayou now, John and Mary's food store is right there. Oh, okay. It was right uh-huh. next door there. Uh-huh. And I, I didn't huh. knew about this. That was a club, and Walter huh. Wolfman used to play there. Huh. And John Clary was in this video talking about how he used to go there and play. And this is like the early 80s, I think. Right. right? Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, these are the kind of spots long gone, right? You would not You would never know that was anything unless you Google it or went to like that. Right, side, right. Or yeah. you went there. should yeah. be there, right? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. St. John needs a nice right. little club like that. Right. And, and long gone, but also yeah. like, was a part of the story of like this legendary New Orleans musician who was just honored for his lifetime achievement in music. That's right. These these are the spots that are mostly disappearing that we mostly hurt by this ordinance. These are the kind of spots that can't don't have the money to defend themselves. That's right. Right. Um, right? They. It's one of the management too. You know, just right. like to even see those notifications coming in sometimes. Right. It's uh, kind of what happened to Donna's a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't you don't necessarily know the in, the intricacies of. of zoning law or, or every ordinance that you need to follow but you know you're trying to make your thing happen and you're trying to get your business running and you want to have music and, and all those things right and I know of a few clubs which I won't mention that have still similar things happening right yeah. it's like not music isn't technically legal but they're doing their thing and so far nobody's bothering them but they're susceptible yes. to yes. Um, to shut down immediately and, and are technically Operating oh, illegally, even right. though I'll be there Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be at one of them. Right, and, and, and yeah. that's it. And, and and this this kind of ordinance would could just immediately kill any possibility of that. What I always think is too, like, do you think the Orleans culture would have developed um, in the way they did if police could watch what's happening on the corner of every bar, like that's around? Do you think jazz right. would develop the way it is if there was a sort of oversight of, of all these spots happening, right? No, of course Well, look, not. I mean, I know that you've been going back into the long history, you know. Yeah. I mean, look, you you know that at one point in time, the idea of 
the need to have the doors open on Bourbon Street was a garrison idea mm -hmm. that he put into place. And so that's why the doors are open. So obviously it had the opposite effect of what it was intended to do, right? The music winds up going out into the street. Everybody who's going down the street can see what's going on in each establishment and pick and choose where they want to go, blah, blah, blah. But what it was intended to do, I think, at the time when the New Orleans bar scene was completely mobbed up is to be able to not conduct the illegal poker games that were going on in the back of the bar so you could see what was going sure. on back there, right? Um, so, I mean, law of unintended consequences, that, right? Yeah. But I bring that up because it seems like so much of this fight is taking place between powers that be that want to make a statement about moneyed interests and activities that are happening in the French Quarter. Mm -hmm. And it's having this ancillary impact on real New Orleans. And that's the thing that bothers me about it because I can't for the life of me figure out why um, Kristen Palmer, Palmer would want to... Like, like where, what is the genesis of like wanting to re-up this idea, except that there's this hysteria about uh, human trafficking and strip clubs, and there's this, and, and, and there are these, these ideas that you can get a political win off of um, something that seems to clean up Bourbon Street. Yeah, you know? I think that's... And, 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 you know, that shit needs to be limited to Bourbon Street. And if Frenchman Street's that bad now, it needs to be limited to Frenchman Street. Because the, it's not having an impact mm -hmm. on... The, they try to pass these laws. Those people have the money. The French Quarter Business Association and the people in it have the money to fight it. They can prove the yeah. unconstitutionality of, of this ordinance. They can spend the time and the money. But in the meantime, in the gap, right. when enforcement can take place, it's these smaller places, and those are the places that matter right. in New Orleans that are vulnerable to me. Right. You know? That's, so, that's, like, is there a way to just cordon... Like, fuck yourself, French Quarter. You know? Like, just go fight your fight with the city council on your own and, like, leave the rest of real New Orleans alone. I mean, I think... I mean, I guess, I guess they could, but then it would open it up to... Um, <laughs> Like, you know, if you just, you could do, there's a specific zoning on, on part of bourbon. It's VCE zoning if you want to look it up. But it is specifically for, like, bourbon from Ivory Villa St. Anne. It's its own zoning ordinance, unlike anything else in the city. You could you could do an ordinance that would do that specifically. But then you would then you would get the outcry of why you're targeting us specifically. Also, we're a huge economic driver. We push tourism. We bring in all the money. Why are you killing the goose that laid the golden egg? Is, but that That's argument, true. of course, is argument that we would make saying if you kill all these other local clubs you're actually killing the future of whatever you're going to do because you've killed the development of the culture in the spot that it could sure. be right um, sure but i do want to go back a little bit to the history because i we have been doing some really deep dives into where these laws came from um and because a lot of these are just sort of taken as gospel like it's just the way it is so for example there is an ordinance as a part of the alcoholic beverage ordinance there's one section that says um, no new alcoholic beverage outlet can open up within 300 feet of like a school, a church, a playground, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. And I was interested to see where that came from. And so if you have a library card in New Orleans, you can go to the library website. We can still get access at nutrias.org and go to the historic newspaper archive. You can start to look up stuff. And so I just started to do these different searches of different sort of versions of 300 feet, blah, 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 alcohol. And I hit finally where this ordinance came from, and it came from 
the founder of Visipora, who was Elizabeth Worlean, who is like a hero of New Orleans preservation. Um, was, was the wife of the owner of Warline's yep. music company, Correct. which was a long time staple New Orleans music instrument, and I, you could take lessons and about it. It was around forever. Yep, and, yeah, and Warline's also the first place that I think published the song Dixie. And it was a Confederate sympathizer. There's a bunch of stuff. Oh, right? I'm sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. This is all. I mean, yeah. this is you know what late 1900s right. starting. Right. Um, right. But anyway, it's a little aside, but not completely. But anyway, so she was upset. Because Pat O'Brien's was opening up in 1941, mm-hmm. and she, there's a, there's a little thread we did on our, on our Twitter, is like she was going to stand outside the the building with a gun and not let anybody turn this place into a bar. Of course, she failed because Pat O'Brien's is in the same spot it was today, right? Sure. But it was, it was her fight against Pat O'Brien's, and when she lost, she convinced the the mayor that they needed to go back to these pre-prohibition era laws that would that would have been any new alcoholic beverage outlet within 300 feet of all these spots because then it would stop the proliferation of the French Quarter. So the mayor agreed and they passed that in the French Quarter in 1941. In 1945, um, they then took that same 300 foot rule citywide. And I think that was because the troops were coming home and they were talking about these alcoholic beverage outlets being hotbeds of prostitution. And so therefore they needed to figure a way to limit these ABOs from opening up throughout the city. So they took that citywide. So it's actually been lost since 1945, right. unchallenged for any reason why it happened, except this is the way it is. And so when you look at where these laws come from, the reasoning doesn't make sense. And it's 70, 80 years old. If we're going to update it, let's update it. And just as an right. aside, when I was doing the research, I also found that Elizabeth Worley and the, one of the here, this founder of VC Pora, um, you know, sort of this matriarch of New Orleans preservation, 20 years earlier was the, was the founder of League of Women Voters and they were, were the first the first president of League of Women Voters and was, they were advocating for a racial purity law in the Louisiana state constitution that would, that would um, forever embed uh, essentially white supremacy in the constitution of Louisiana. They, they ended up failing, and it's, this is a way more of a side, they ended up failing because some people opposed to the language being in the Constitution because then it would make people think that it was a problem in Louisiana, that that, that we, there wasn't enough white supremacy. So by putting it in the law that it would be uh, showing the world that they needed it. <laughs> that we and, were weak right, against that's that. Right. And so wow. they ended up failing. But what I think it all, and I looked at, like wow. I looked through everything I could find, and this is not... That's I couldn't amazing. find this this fact anywhere. Mississippi never had that problem, I guess. Yeah, and, no, and, and, yeah, and also that, and also I found that this uh, that you know this hero of New Orleans preservation this is completely omitted from every bio I could find about her, right? Like this of part course. of it, but it's not like this. Well, because she's a preservationist, you right. know, and, they're the top, right? And and right. so we also should examine like where did this exclusionary piece come from? Was she against? That wasn't. It wasn't just Pat O'Brien's, right? It was who, why, who was there, who was doing what. And so, if you're if you're an advocate for racial purity laws, and then 20 years later you're doing this, chances are good that there's still some of that that same reasoning for needing racial purity as to why you were trying to purify the French Quarter from some activities you don't like, right? So we well, should they, really be examining who created these laws and why and how they're still passed down at this point, you know, right. 80, 90 years later. Right? Ethan, there there, there right. is a uh, right. phrase called set in your ways for a reason. Right. You don't get more progressive as you get older. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly, yeah. right? Um, and <laughs> yeah. so, so you know, we looked, and we, we found there's other things that I, we sort of looked into too, but that's one where it just is like, right, why are we just continuing to accept that? Um, and what does sure. that mean? No one's actually even analyzed 
what, how much, there's a lot of, say, churches in New Orleans, right? Like, what does that actually mean for where places can open? All that things that nobody's looked at that forever. We just accept it, right? So if we're going to update these things, that's actually, someone who's got to spend the time and actually go and do it. Otherwise, we I pass think that's this a great idea it, because right? it, that's really like the, take them down, Nola is essentially founded on that right. historical kind of principle. Do the historical research. For right. so long, people were like, you just drive by these statues and just accept that they're there. And then someone comes along and does the work, you know, right. and you're like, why, why was this thing put here right. in the first place? And they're like, oh, this is a list of awful reasons, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's not have that. And look, they were in the news, like they were in the newspaper, they're publicly accessible. Someone said they had to go find, right? And, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then make the case. Um, and, and they, yeah, they, they did it absolutely. But I think that had, that, I mean, that this is, this is South Louisiana, man. That stuff creeps into the, into the code, into the laws. And you've got to, what we're saying is we should be examining our laws and culture from the same lens as why were these laws created. Look at, so I think the best analogy recently was the um, unanimous juries amendment that just passed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Why were there not unanimous juries here? It was absolutely because it was it wanted to enshrine white supremacy in That's Louisiana, right. right? And it was written into like the statement, right? Yeah. Um, and it may not be able to find one quite so clear cut, but that's what the legacy of this was, which was just just uh, changed, what, two months ago? Right? Yeah, finally. two months, yeah, and, yeah finally. And, how much of that sort of, how much of other things like that crept into the ways that we regulate, I mean, many things, but culture in, as well, right? Someone kind of overwhelmingly uh, supported, you know, making yeah. that change and, and a political victory for those that got behind it, which most people did. Yeah. I mean, are you finding that there's any traction from current city council persons for what you're talking about in terms of going back and re- reevaluating some of this historical we'll, legislation that's out of date and we'll see. And it's coded, we'll see. That's racist straight up or very much coded. I mean, I think we gotta we gotta have to make the case that we'd have to do most. We essentially have to present them with a pretty ironclad like this is the thing, and then we'd have to advocate it for it to change. Sure. I mean, there's a pathway, and I mean nobody said no, but at the same time nobody's gonna be like. We're going to take that on, right? I think. Yeah, you've got you know, to. But, but you have published yeah. some of your research yeah. findings about Whirline and whatnot, yeah, right? I mean, on the on, Magno it's, site. It's on Twitter right now. We're going to figure out a way to make it a little bit more. A little a bit more public, thing. yeah. And, a little um, bit more cohesive. Because yeah. um, I think there's there's a lot a lot to that, and and particularly around, I mean, you know, the preservation movement, and some of them, PRC is getting better. I will give them that. They're becoming uh, more progressive than they were. Um, but if you look at the preservation movement as a whole, there's a lot of like. You know the the Louisiana Landmarks Commission or Louisiana Landmarks to Society working with David Duke to keep up the Liberty Place monument that happened twice. There's a bunch of crusty crackers, right? I mean, preservationists, right? And then they, I mean, calling Confederate monuments the gifts of our ancestors like that lots of happened in the past five years, right? And you look at and think of that's that's now. Think about what they were in the '40s, right? right. and and you know that's not every preservationist, right? By any means, but there's a legacy of of some of that stuff happening down that that still carries on, right? Why did we, why you know why did the expressway go down Claiborne? That's right. And there, there's a big argument of well, there were two expressways, and 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 you know what we couldn't stop them both, right? But you didn't stop the one that destroyed the Black Main Street of New Orleans, right? That's right. Like, right. right. It, your argument isn't a great argument that like well. We saved one, like we. There's nothing we could do. Like, of course there was. You killed one, right? Exactly. So you know this. There needs to be a self-examination from the community to say how can we become more holistic? How can we become more inclusive? How can we actually advocate um, for preservation in New Orleans in in a way and undo some of the 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 things that were actually 
it turns out exclusionary and and likely racist. So that's a, a bigger project. Are you hip to? Uh, I'm gonna look this up right now. Um, uh, you, you know Mario Madero? Do you know him? Uh, I mean, via probably comments on our on our Macca page. Oh yeah. Um, he was telling me there's um, the GNOF um, does this racial reconciliation program mm-hmm. like maybe once a quarter. It's like two full days. And it's like what you just said, sort of in a nutshell. You get two full days of it. Mm-hmm. Like here's how fucked up. Here's why we are where we are now. That was all uh, motivated by racism. I mean, I think New Orleans could use a, maybe more like two full years, decades. That's right. <laughs> but still, it's yeah. like a Friday, Saturday, yeah. nine to five, yeah. and it's intense. And, and you know, the idea is to try and change people a little bit yeah. to wake people up. Yeah. You know, um, they've been really trying to get Stephen Perry to go to that. And, no, no, no work on that. So, like shifting, no, shifting no, no, topics. No, 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 um, and uh, Ethan, thanks yeah. for talking about that because um, that's like super important. It's just such a drag that we have to. It's a drag from this standpoint for me, being from New Orleans, is that it's embarrassing for me to have to tell that. Like, for instance, through this medium, mm-hmm. anybody who's listening, like Amsterdam, Philip, just the idea that someone in the Netherlands is cognizant and aware that the city of New Orleans is somehow struggling with this idea of uh, that there are aggressive people with an aggressive mindset about harassing and haranguing the idea of music existing in the city of New Orleans is like it's just so foreign to people who aren't from the city of New Orleans like if you're not from here you wouldn't know that there's this weird subset of uh, really crusty people that that live in new orleans that have a lot of money and power and 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 can move things along in a way that's that's really aggressive and and you know they want to i i think make new orleans look like savannah georgia which is you know that's a death knell and i I think there is i mean i mean i know there is because i I deal with it there's definitely people that 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 would like to see a lot of what we love about new orleans not be here because it's not what they love about it right they love the opposite essentially not not that they want a McDonald's, but they want a quiet, um, sort of architecturally yeah, Savannah, interesting. Georgia. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly, yeah, right? Yeah, and right. and that's what they want, and that's what they fight for. And they've had they've had influence for a long time. And they've had years to power. They've had old white power structure that was that was on board with that, right? Um, and, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you looked in our city, if you looked at our government website, and you look at the institutional developments over the years that have been dedicated to the idea of architecture, you would walk away thinking that architecture is the number one reason why anybody gets on a plane and comes to New right. Orleans. Which, yeah. Because we have so much devoted to it. Right. Right. We have an entire building, Preservation Resource Center, an entire institution established to the idea of, like, you can't change your... Uh, your shutters on on the front right. of your house, you know, and you can only make your renovations in this way. We have a, a, right. a governmental body that tells you what you can and can't do, and they have a lot of power, and mm-hmm. they, and it, it it has definitely evolved out of that. And and I can tell you seriously from dealing with some of these people at FMIA, they literally do live in that bubble. They mm-hmm. really do think that like the only reason that anybody really comes to New Orleans or should come to New Orleans is to visit these homes and, right. to, lo- and to look at the greatness of the antebellum slave-owning mm-hmm. past mm-hmm. And, and, and regale it 
you know, and continue that on and on. So they're they are fighting literally in the opposite way right. and, and of also, what we're talking about. They're, they did downplay the injustice of that era too. Like there's a lot oh. of that as well, right? It's the romanticized South, right? No, I mean, look, just go to the FM Fulberg Marining Improvement Association and look at the houses that they hail. Okay, in the Marining, most of the homes were uh, were for. Uh, you know, working class immigrants who worked as stevedores on the on the Mississippi River, right? Mm-hmm. And all and seriously working class jobs, and uh, but all of the homes that they hail are of the antebellum or near antebellum variety, mm-hmm. and none of the ones that they hail are any of the ones that come from the immigrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so even. It's it's not just uh, African American culture that they're against. They they are against also the idea of uh, Italian, German, and Irish immigrants who came and lived in those areas. Sure. They in their historic timeline they skip over that completely. Mm-hmm. They're like great homes were built between 1865 and 1900. Then everything went to shit. And then in 1971, we came along and saved everything. Right. 1971. Right. That's when it all went on the upswing. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean you know, who wrote the historic record of a lot of that stuff, too, right? I mean, especially, I think, the preservation movement has, has written their own historic record of themselves to sort of... Well, I showed so, you that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that map, a, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Joel, I don't know. Who is that from? Is that That's from the... The VCC Foundation. The VCC Foundation, Vukare right? Commission the Vukare Commission Foundation has an interactive map that you can go to that judges the uh, the worthiness of a building um, based on this set of criterion that uh, is essentially like worthless, super fantastic. You know, yeah. it, that's sure. like what are the words that they use? I forget. It's it's and something not, along not those lines. Not historically important or something. Not like that. historically something like that. It's close enough to that, right? Right, right, right. And and like I was saying, like you you can see if you track the history, it's like oh, this was where like you know the quote unquote Italian slum was, right? Mm-hmm. So then a bunch of those browns mm-hmm. pop up. They use the color brown for the shitty ones that they don't like. Right, That's, you know it, they do. It, they totally do, man. Do. It's un, it's really kind of unbelievable as an expression, and it has no. Um, just to put a pin on it, like there isn't any um, real academic historical uh, research behind that. It's just simply a gathering of opinions, and and the hiring of a, an architectural cons, consulting group. From what I read about yeah. the, like the, how they produce that map. There's no historians weighing in from no, UNO just, or Tulane or, or just, Xavier. Was this building, you know, was it changed? Okay, downgraded a little bit. Right? Downgraded. And, and, <laughs> That's right. And, and so worthless. Yeah, I, t- I mean, I took a look at it too, and and, okay. and you know what I think part of it is is just because it was whatever this, so I assume outside of New Orleans Architectural Consulting Group that did it, their entire idea of what a historically important building was was how quote-unquote, architecturally significant, and then how much has that changed since it was built? The end. It wasn't like what happened here, the story of it, all these things. It was just... Who lived there. Is it... Yeah, it was just like, yeah. was it, is it... Does it look like how it was built? Has it been changed? When it was built, was it extravagant? If, if it was... Looks like when it was built, it was extravagant, it's old, boom, it's purple, it's amazing. It's super and amazing. Yeah. Right. right, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. like, so, my point in saying this is this. It's like... For, for similar to the plantation homes that are maintained on River Road, 
right? right. You, it's like it's all about forever, other than the one uh, plantation that has the slave museum. Oh, yeah, it was all about the greatness of the antebellum uh, aristocracy and the the house and the opulence. But the slave quarters in the back are, you know, they're in the brown category. Right, right, right. right. And that's the way that this map plays out as well. Yeah. You know, sure. Like where anybody of significance from a labor standpoint mm-hmm. live, that's insignificant. You know? Right, that's right. That's and, brown. And this is what the city, the VC, this is what the city is adopted, right? I mean, this is the VCC, this is, so it, it was unquestioningly, you know, adopted. And, and, you know, because, partly just because I think, just a lack of diversity in in people doing I think preservation work right is sure. and again like That's painting with a broad a brush good point of painting course with a broad brush yes. but um right. but still it, it's it's a part of it that is oh, a legacy ahead. of it right um, no but I think. I mean, that's it, but that's also why, you know, so many culturally important sites have, have been destroyed, have been lost, right, uh, in sure. New Orleans and, that's and right. continue to be, right? It's because they weren't seen as important. I think, like, Club Desire was a recent example that just sort of crumbled into nothing and was torn down, right? Like Basin Street. Spot. Yeah, Basin Street, a great example. Uh, I mean, Professor Longhair's house was within, like, a hair of being torn down before finally somebody said, like, let's preserve that. We're still fighting to preserve Buddy Bolden's house, right? Um, yeah, Luke, Buddy Bolden's right? And why is that a fight, right? Um, Why should that be a fight? I mean, I know we should be seeking these places. What we should be doing is seeking these, but no, exactly, right? This is this is the opposites, right? So if it's Albert Pike's house, who was like, you know, founder of the KKK, Mm -hmm. right, and he was rich and wealthy, they're like all about it. Mm -hmm. They're like, this was Albert Pike's house. And look at the architecture. Look, look at the Confederate architecture general. Look at the detail. Look at the detail on the thing. Right, exactly. Right, but if it's Buddy Bolden. Right, architect of jazz right. in New Orleans. We're not seeking that. Like it, it, it's just—it's so strange to me how we that 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 culture of uh, the prevailing ideas behind what we turn into monuments and what we don't. You know, that's right. Yeah. Uh, we're closing in an hour. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I think I think to to wrap it up. I don't know when when this is gonna be out. Put well, its name. It's okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, if you have to listen to this in terms of the ordinance. Um, easiest way to find it right now is on our Facebook page, which is just MACCNO page. Um, we're going to put it up on our. It's on our website, but it's a little buried, so I'm going to try to put it on the on the front, so you can just click on it and, and see what our comments are. But you know, especially if you live in New Orleans, um, easiest way to do is just call the city council, call and email them directly because they, someone's got to pick up that phone and someone's going to read that email. They can't ignore it completely, right? Um, and they might vote, a, vote on it January 31, is that right? It's this Thursday. It's a committee. It's um, definitely, okay. And it, I'm still trying to get out, out of committee, committee It's got to be in committee first. So the soonest they can vote on council is, is I think, the 7th. Um, February? Yeah, I think it's the next city council meeting. Um, so And you guys keep your Facebook page updated pretty well. Yeah, that so stuff, all, that, yeah. all that info would be on there. And we've done a statement. There's some analysis on this. You don't have to wade through the entire thing. Um Again, that email you guys sent out, that blast was really kind of perfectly clear. Yeah, and so, with a lot of detail. Yeah, well. and, and so, so we'd, oh, I can tell you how many drafts that was. That's no, really so, cool. Uh, mm-hmm. There's going to be a longer version of Anti Gravity um, coming on in a second, too, of a, of a wordier version of that statement with some more information on it. Um, cool. But yeah, uh, and, and just call and, and make your feelings known and, um, you know, push it back. This is by no means a done deal, and they could. They could just end up changing some things. They could take out some of the most problematic stuff and keep the prohibition against berry wine or whatever 
that dropped it. I guess they dropped the prohibition on very wine, but whatever. Like these little changes aren't. Who, essentially, it's like okay, fine. Like who who cares that much that you have, um, you know, now define what a distillery is for the city. Right. right. I mean, it's important, but it's not game changing stuff, and it's not problematic stuff. There's a lot of that in there, but there's these these really sort of poison pills that that keep popping up. And I think if we can defeat this two times in a row, hopefully that sends a signal that there isn't a third. Because I will say it's disheartening to have defeated this so publicly, so soundly. Soundly. I mean, it, it was news. It was just, it was a massive failure on on the Headlander side. Yeah. I well, mean, they, they, yeah. they had to retreat. It got crushed. It well, got crushed. And then, so publicly, and to see it come back. Here's the thing that I'm struggling with as I'm thinking about who I'm going to call. And I know we're wrapping up here. But before it was led by um, former council person Stacey Head and former mayor Mitch Landrew. Mm-hmm. And so I'm inclined not necessarily to call or email uh, my, city, my city council representative, but to the authors of the ordinance, um, Cindy Nguyen and, and Palmer. And I'm curious what, I mean, you might not know. We, Jeff, you guys hit it on a little bit before about this is just like a, a political win because it looks like safety, mm-hmm. it looks like clean. Looks like tourism, maybe. But do you, do you have a feeling of like what the motivations are currently so, with the authors of this ordinance? So I don't. I don't know specifically, and I'm going to speculate a little bit, which usually I don't do. So it's just before I was here. I was on um, WHIV with members of Bear, which are the Bourbon Alliance for Responsible Entertainers. They did a lot of the fight um, around the strip clubs, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of dancers that, that fought back, and they were on there, and they've really been drawing the tie between the crackdown on an adult live entertainment around sex workers tying it to some of the stuff in this ordinance as well, particularly because Louisiana just got this big grant to crack down on sex trafficking. And they did? Used, uh, Louisiana did okay, a couple yeah. weeks ago, and they've been mm-hmm. they've used that as an excuse to crack down on, on the strip clubs, which after even the crackdown, they never found any instances of sex trafficking within the clubs themselves, but has been used as sort of an excuse to do that. Um, I think it's possible there could be a tie with some of that, with one thing that... that Maybe an oversight and maybe deliberate in this ordinance, which we didn't talk about. So I'll really briefly uh, mention it is in the previous ordinance, there was this um, piece taken out of the Alcoholic Beverage Code. If you're really into one, like in, in Muta Code, it's 10 5 in the code. It is this thing, it's from the Jim Garrison era. It is this ordinance that says you need to, every employee of um, an Alcoholic Beverage Outlet, there's live entertainment needs to be fingerprinted and have a photo ID card issued by the New Orleans Police Department if they're going to work with the public. Everybody that does. So everyone that is a bartender, everyone that's a server, every musician, every dancer would all have to have this this fingerprinting and photo ID card. It hasn't been enforced in, in a long time. Right. The head ordinance took that out. This ordinance does not take that section out. Um, and it's interesting because they went through all this stuff and either either it's an oversight, which is, which is possible, right? Sure. Um, or, but what, what sort of is a little bit of an alarm for me is that last year in the fight to crack down on live, enter- live adult entertainment, strip clubs, um, it was noted by Jim Kelly of Covenant House that this was an ordinance and he was questioning why they didn't start enforcing it again, right? And so he was questioning why don't they bring back this fingerprinting requirement that is hmm. no longer enforced. And now it's not been taken out of this ordinance. Again, it could be, absolutely could be coincidence, it could be an oversight. Sure. Or it could be tied into a different thing. And so totally. I think that that remains to be seen. So we'd also suggest that people um, have that taken out. Because if you were, uh, so the, and there's, if you look at the ordinance, there's an example of how you should 
you also need to be in a register. They have to create a registry of everybody that does live entertainment, not just fingerprinting and photo ID card, but a registry the AOPD has access to of everyone that works at these kind of, and so the registry says like name, date of birth, occupation, blah, blah, blah. And the example in New Orleans code is, this name of this woman, date of birth, occupation, singer, right? Mm -hmm. So this is implications for musicians, for everybody that certainly is employed from a venue and, and Bourbon Street actually has I think more musicians that are actually employees than most other places, but it's unclear if you're a contractor, how that would work. Mm -hmm. If you're playing for tips, how would that work? How what is the arrangement? All right. And and the fact that they're you know that is not out is problematic. And the fact that someone said, well, "Why don't we bring this back?" is an issue. So you know, one thing that so has it's to not happen. Not a coincidence. Who, who was why pushing for that? Did uh, you say Jim Jim Kelly from Covenant House. Oh, the Covenant House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that so, guy's a problem. So, it's probably not just a coincidence. And and so yeah, I think the idea is is it one it needs to be taken out. If this is if this was passed in any capacity, right? It's sure. just imagine if they started to fingerprint every musician if they wanted to play at any of these venues, right? Every bartender, NOP has got every fingerprints on file to check your criminal record, do all these things, right? Um, yeah. So this is this is the kind of thing that, and again, hasn't been enforced. It should have become off the books a long time ago, hasn't been taken off the books yet, and now there's potential that it, someone someone is pushing for it as a part to be of enforced. A, yeah, as, as a part, part of a crackdown on quote unquote sex trafficking, but right. Um, I mean, and that's an issue, and and you know, hopefully, again, it was an oversight and, and can be removed. I mean, regardless of this ordinance passes or not. When you ask questions like that, Ethan, to um, our public legislators, do they respond to you? It's usually uh, we'll look into it, right? Um, yeah, so, <laughs> all right. So that's what we got when we present last time. But it's a question that, and, and again, it's not an accusation, but it's a question that needs to be asked. Yeah, and, and should be repeatedly asked until there is an answer or until it is removed, right? And do you find that the city council folks are receptive or responsive to y'all's inquiries from MACNA? Sometimes. I mean, I mean, it's politics, man. Um, yeah. And, and I would tell you we have a good relationship with, with every council member, Palmer, Nguyen, everybody. I think we've talked about working with on different issues, whether it be, you know, parking, parking passes for musicians, whether it be more economic development in the East. I talked right. about that a little bit in the statement. And... and there's things we could absolutely productively do all over the city, uh, and I think we want to be partners, and we want the city council to partner with us, but not just us. We know, one thing we've talked about on the short-term rental stuff is like there's a broad cross-section of, of disagreement, right? And so we can give you some ideas of what we think. What you should really be doing is talking directly with musicians that are affected, with, with business owners. You can cut us out of it. You should be you should always be engaging with them, right? Sure. And that's what. You know, a big part of what I, what we keep pushing is, yes, absolutely listen to us because we think we're right, but we should also you should also be listening to the broader cross section of the cultural community because uh, they're usually affected by whatever these ordinances are, but are the ones that are not contacted and may not have the pull of a right. neighborhood association or something behind them, and so they get they're an afterthought, and then and then often they'll be like, well, you know, well, can you can you get a musician to come and speak on this issue? Well, no, because you should have talked to him when you were drafting it, not when you were trying to pass it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's my uh, soapbox for my sixth appearance on the pod. So folks, go to the go to the Macno Macno Facebook site and also Macno.com. Yeah, and follow us on Twitter at Music Culture Five Hundred Four. If you have Twitter, we're also on Instagram. That's, yeah, you're right. You guys do a great a great job on Twitter. Thank I have you. to say, yeah, and we gotta have you back, man. Effort. I know we just did our. Uh, half dozen episode, but I want to talk about Action New Orleans with you on the podcast oh, sometime yeah, as that we, gets going, as yeah. well as the the gnome, the gnome, yeah, New Orleans music. music. 
is something. What's the economy? E? I think it's economy. economy. It is. Oh yeah. Some data. Yeah. We talked about data a little bit earlier mm-hmm. in the podcast. Yeah. We should. We, one of these days yeah, we're going to talk about the the cultural plan we're working on too. Let's okay. About to about to start moving. Okay. So, um, yeah. Let's do that, folks who listen yeah, to the got, podcast. Yeah. You know, cousin maybe Andy. Maybe before uh, Jazz Fest. You know. Yeah, I think we can yeah. run yeah. up the Jazz Fest. Yeah, yeah, we need we need some time to sort of get things. We get we got okay. caught off guard by this ordinance for a minute. So well, that's I'm, what I was going to say to like our folks like cousin Andy and Amsterdam Philip, our Jazz Fest friends who come once a year and enjoy the city and love the culture. Um, we're not just bitching about the same things again and again for no reason. It's just like, this is a shit that's right out in front of us. <laughs> Our good friend Ethan here and the great work that Macno is doing, there is a long-term plan. There's a goal there for, for and, and then that's what a, a lot of different organizations um, are doing. A lot of NGOs in this town are doing great work. So we'll try to uh, spend some positive stuff moving forward about preserving, sustaining our culture here, moving ahead, which Macno's definitely doing. But in the meantime, I don't care if you live here or not. Tell people, write, write our city council people, Cousin Andy, Amsterdam Philip, write them and tell them to not pass this ordinance because it affects you two weeks a year. Yeah, if you've been coming to New Orleans for Jazz Fest for like 20 years and you're like, I'd love to go and duck into this little club, Mm-hmm. Le Bon Ton Roulet. I love to go to this place, Bullets. Mm-hmm. I love to go to any number of neighborhood bars that happen to have live entertainment, and that's one of your favorite things. And then you're listening to the podcast, and you're going like, wait a minute, there's some people that want to put those places out of business? Well, I yes. think that it speaks a very powerful uh, game to our city council to have people from without the city of New Orleans, because we are we're a local community, but at the same time, we're also... Your voice matters as well. So yeah. if you're out there somewhere, we and, all spend uh, more bread in our town than we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, right in, you know, wherever you're from, France, or, you know, let yeah, them know right. <laughs> for sure. Uh, okay, thanks for being on, all Ethan. Right, appreciate it, man. Guys, do you want to? Uh, do we want to continue on and just transition into uh, talking I'm a little it. bit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. We're not going to do a part two. We're going to do a live transition. We're going to do a live transition. I'll sneak up. Appreciate it. You're going to get real jealous as you're walking out and you start hearing these hot topics <laughs> about us crying over spilt milk about our saints and our Anthony Davis oh, and all this other stuff. Yeah. I'm on Twitter, man. I've seen, I've seen a little bit of that crying. You've seen, you've seen a little <laughs> yeah. bit of that, huh? Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you all. And plus, producer Spencer's right, back Ethan. in the house. We haven't even said hello. It's been a while. Thank you, Ethan. I am back. <clears throat> What's up, Spence? How you been, buddy? Uh, you got to make room for Ethan coming uh, out. The magic of a live transition. You can come out this way, man, if you want. It's uh, it's been a week. We don't have to get too into that right now. See you, buddy. Thanks, man. So we want to start with um, Saints in the NFL, AD, or uh, the fact that you guys are hearing it first that uh, there's a social media campaign about. Uh, Putin being gay. Oh, yeah. You heard about this, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See if I okay, so uh, before we get into that, uh, yeah, so before we get into Saints, what, what, why don't we just get into that? That's fine. And then Let's we'll get, get into, into the Putin. Because we have to. We'll close out with the Putin thing. What minute mark are we at so I know? For we're at buck 10 right buck now. 10. Okay, so we're going to go through real quick. All right. Really, really quick. Wait, you can't. You're walking away from the table right now? What is going on, man? I don't even understand. All right, look. Uh, everybody knows the Saints. The Saints got robbed. 
for uh, in terms of going to the Super Bowl. Um, there's never been brouhaha about a non-call, either officially or non-officially. I'll be honest with you, by the end of uh, watching the game at Wheeler's, man, I was kind of over it. Um, because, you know, I have my personal opinion about it, which is just that I think that, um, you know, it's kind of like you were saying, Joel, you know, even when the Saints went in 2010, if you go back and you look at that Minnesota game, there were calls that kind of favored us, and there's always been people who have said, well, the NFL favored uh, the Saints that year because uh, they had Katrina, and so the NFL felt bad, and they, they needed to reestablish the Saints in New Orleans, and et cetera, et cetera. But I think that there's never been more of a case to be made than L.A. because what you're looking at, at look, Roger Goodell has essentially one job every six or seven years, and that's to negotiate. I mean, 90% negotiate of a television contract. It's a television contract. Is followed 90, by a CBA 90%, based on that television contract. That's right. Ninety percent of of Roger Goodell's right. money making job, if he's there to make money, is that television contract. Followed the other ten percent is, is the, CBA the CBA on the heels of on that the heels of, contract. of that. That's right. Like, Look how much money I just got the players. That's exactly right. And and what he said at, at the end of the last uh, when they got the television contract, there was some. It was the biggest television contract that the NFL had gotten. The NFL's television contracts continuous, continue to go up and up and up, right? But I think the powers that be said, enough is enough. We have to have a team or teams in the Los Angeles market. And it became, between 2013 and 2020, it became Roger Goodell's single purpose at running the NFL to at least pull one team to two teams into that market. That was the goal. Absolutely. I mean, that it wasn't was the just Goodell. I mean, Jerry Jones pushed for it. A lot of other... Well, yeah, the shareholders. Know, the they, shareholders. They, the they, all did, they all did because... Yeah, because it's a giant market. <laughs> yes. It's the second biggest market in the country. Why wouldn't they want a team there? Well, because... Exactly. I, I, that, I totally agree with that because the NFL has revenue sharing... And the, when the television deal, there is no bigger lump sum of money that comes into the NFL than the television deal. The Jaguars get as much money as the Rams. The Jaguars get as much money as the Rams. From the television deal. Right, exactly. But you're going you're you're to have considerably less leverage if you come back to the table seven years down the line and you still haven't been able you're to penetrate the Los Angeles market. That's right. Right. So they got the team there. Then two teams. You, they got two teams there. Then you have a, hist- a city who historically has had, over the last 50 years, the most amount of trouble attracting fans to an NFL fan base of any city in any market of all the fucking teams, the despite si- the fact that they're the second biggest market. The Eagles, the Browns, the Pats fans all show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone else shows up to LA Coliseum to go right. see the games, right? right? Except for the Rams fans. You know, they they don't have a solid fan base. Even when the I can remember when the Rams were in LA, they it was a very fickle market. It's a basketball town. It's a soccer town. Hockey. It's a it's a it's a baseball town. Hockey might even be ahead yeah, the of the Kings. NFL. Yeah, the Kings are really right? fucking good. Like the NFL might be on the level of tennis in in LA. Like that's they where the be NFL behind is. Tennis. They might even be behind tennis. They might be behind something They're I don't even know. Probably behind tennis. They might be behind car racing. I don't know what oh, else happens they might in. Be behind, you know, like, boat yeah, racing. Yeah, like the Le Mans type. 
car race. Yeah, yeah, not that kind of, I mean, no, I don't know Formula One. one. Formula I, one. I don't know what happens in LA, but I can I can tell you this that like football is not football is not priorities. at the top of the list. In, it's behind in LA, Palestine man. Palestine chicken. So so then what you're trying to exactly. So then there, so you're you're marching up two hills, three actually. You got a fan base that they have an extremely fickle fan base that that has always been skeptical of football. And the other thing is that football is increasingly becoming super unpopular on the West Coast because of all the head injuries, and soccer is destroying it in terms of popularity right now. So you have this artificial construction going on where the NFL is forcing franchises to move into this market to have leverage. For the uh, one for the, last, for the big, one the last, last big television contract, because it is over after this. Mark my That's right. Words, That's right. Man. And look, and I'll say this: that it's not, it's not necessarily like an overt thing, but the idea that uh, that the referees aren't on some level carrying, you know, the banner of the NFL's business interests, I think, is a little silly. Because it just seems like, of course, they would do that if they have the chance to help the Rams get where they need to be. Then Jeff, people they're going to do it. Say like, oh, you guys at are this point theorists. in time. Let me tell you, yeah, a, it kind a, of sounds a, like a, it. a ten billion dollar uh, annual industry. They are going to be corrupt, man. When they have shareholders, which they do. Do you think Dow Chemical fucking plays by the fucking rules? They, but this is my point. Spence, everyone it's like, cheats it's like this. and fucking like, lies. Do you think for that the, like like for the some, bottom line, like some company that's making steel isn't like doesn't have a Bribing, vested interest in like the final off, result of what people? that steel is? Maybe even killing people to get there. Like like they they're not just like making nothing. They they're making something, and they have to make that happen. And the biggest thing that happened to happen in the NFL between 2013 and now is getting a team in L.A. And it's the idea that they were going to put some shitty team in L.A. that's going to suck. Is that's just, ridiculous because the NFL doesn't want the Patriots in the Super Bowl every fucking year, but there they are because they're a good team. Why wouldn't they y'all want the Patriots? Y'all lost one game. Get over it. Why, why wouldn't they want the Patriots? <laughs> y'all, also, y'all also had the, the ball the to start overtime. It doesn't matter. So that's... That's on y'all. It was the worst call, the worst non-call in sports history. Everyone, now on a national level, everyone is saying that. People just aren't saying why. But, I mean, everyone. But y'all had plenty of other chances to win the game. Of course we did, dude. Listen, man. Five years from now. That's not what we're talking about right now. Five years from now, the Las Vegas Raiders. The NFL being corrupt, which it is. Okay, what about. Good good luck with your Cowboys. The Las Vegas Raiders. your, Your sport's going away. Tigers will stick around for a little while longer because it's the Deep South. But your little football game that you love so much, man, when you're my age, is gone. The Vegas Raiders are going to be in the championship in the next five years. Somehow, they're going to wind up being sure. That's yeah, what's going to happen. That's John Gruden. I, I mean, look at it. Look at the way that it's being set up. you got to be crazy, man. The only problem with your team, for crying out loud, is that you're, you're, you are got a lunatic that runs it. And because uh, they've done everything they can to try and help Dallas become the fucking championship team, for crying out loud, we, it's you just coaching. your owner just it's keeps fucking it up because he's an idiot. Yeah, no, they've had all the talent for pretty much all the whole time I've been a fan, but just. I mean, think about them three years ago. They had the best offensive line probably in the last 30 years. Yeah, but what happened there? And couldn't so, fucking make anything happen. This isn't about the. What happened there? We were unlucky because what, the ref again. So, 
the, but the, you know the, what? There were other chances to win that game other than the non-call or reverse the, of that catch. Oh I'll, I'll say something I've been surprised by, Jeff, is yeah. that the mood in New Orleans obviously has been morose um, since a week ago yesterday. When I mean, look, I hear what you're saying, Spencer, and I and I acquiesce that the Saints had plenty of opportunities to win that game and didn't. But it was, objectively speaking, by a lot of people who don't live here and aren't Saints fans, maybe the worst like non-call in the history of the NFL and the playoffs and maybe sports in general. Now, but the thing about everyone kind of knows this, so I'm not saying it, but the, the, the mood in New Orleans I've been surprised by, besides just being completely depressed. Um, I've There are a lot of people that are like in our friend group who are suddenly talking like us. They're just like out on the NFL. And like people who are finally saying, people who are not They're going to be back in no, it not because year. of this. No, not because of this non-call, because of the CTE, because of just shit that we've talked about in this podcast ad nauseum. Because you just years. can't trust the NFL. And you can't, and because of the, the Ray <laughs> Rice thing, because of the Bounty Gate, because of the Deflate Gate, because of, you know. So many things. There are so many things that are over and over and over again, and 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 the fact that you don't know what a catch is, and the fact that like the game can be determined by, look, we talked about this on the on the phone like the the following day. I think you could, there's a kid at MIT right now if you're listening who could spend probably like three days putting together like a data driven set of variables. About the fact shows. that it always happens on the third down? Well, do Yes, exactly. Well, that's one variable. So here's what you would do. You would est- very quickly, folks, you would establish... <laughs> like the four most meaningful calls you would est- in the game you, you all would, happened on third you down? Would, yes. You would establish um, uh, 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 a, a measurement for what you would call it an incentivized team, a neutral team, and a non-incentivized team in terms of the NFL goes in terms of their success. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. And then you would look at third down holding calls yeah, between those teams. And then you'd have a control group because you'd have neutral teams versus neutral teams. And you'd have incentivized teams versus neutral, incentivized versus non-incentivized yeah, yeah. or whatever. Right, right. And you can And I'm telling you, it. the data's going to come up that significantly the NFL is throwing games because the incentivized teams don't get the holding calls when they're offense. I just can't believe that nobody brings up that. do get the holding it, calls when they're on defense from the other team. That nobody brings up that it happens on third down all the time. I, I can't. It, it never even enters in the conversation. And then look at third even down in, red zone. Look even at third in, down red zone. It's like it's like you know, like like when the wrestler has been pinned twice and then still pops up. You know what I mean? Sure. At the end. It's like it's always a third down. That's well, right. third down red zone always is the a third most down. high pressured situation. It's easy for you. Know, I didn't say anything. I'm about talking about it. I'm just talking about calls. I'm just saying if you look no, at I'm it, just saying it's easy for just people to, to like. <laughs> I'm going to hold this guy to keep them from getting a My touchdown. My point is that is no, that no, but I'm saying that that, that the NFL's team neutral it teams happens on third down. The NFL's neutral teams wouldn't have. They would have a lot of those calls, and the incentivized teams that they want to win wouldn't have those calls. Is what I'm saying. There'd be a significant teams. Between I'm just saying, there's the, an, if that was the case, then why are the Patriots in the Super Bowl again? Because no one wants that. The NFL probably. Roger doesn't. Goodell like jerks I, off Robert Kraft yeah, on a daily basis. I think basis. he. I think he does. Those yeah. guys are like finger rollers. They have a worldwide really? after he, audience. <laughs> after yeah. he gave Brady the four-game suspension and Kraft even said, smoke. I should have backed Brady. That was just smoke. Anyway, so that 
The question is like, you know, I, on this podcast, people who listen know that even dating back to our original podcast in 2012, 2013, that once this breeze air is over, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, I already don't watch college football. I don't watch any other teams. The reason that I love the New Orleans Saints and the reason that I was so bummed out, like Jeff, you were saying you were kind of over it by the time you left Wheeler's. I was really fucking depressed for several days. And it's because of the... There's nothing, there's not another fan base or community that where football affects civic community and pride the way that the Saints affect this town. And I know that, you know, Sprinter will say, no, I mean, Dallas is like that too. But look, they, I was listening to, I want to say Kevin O'Connor and Robert Mays, two, not Kevin, but two of the people on The Ringer from, um, from the Saints, pot, from uh, The Ringer NFL podcast. One of them was here for the divisional round. And one of them was here for the conference championship, and they recorded their podcast from New Orleans on the Thursday in between. And both of them could not stop talking about how unique it is. And these are guys that go to every single game. They, they've been to every single city playoff games, blah, 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 for the last six years. This is what they do professionally. And there's just not another community that embraces. It's not so much embraces the Saints. It's just that's like a... You don't know where one starts and the other ends, you know. It's just I know there are Saints fans who aren't football fans. A shit ton here. Yeah, you know, and it's just a special thing. And I was really super bummed that we weren't going to have like two weeks of everybody being happy. I don't know. The, the Bills and the Browns fans seem kind of like that too. Sure, no, they're great fan bases. I would just say it's kind of like the the Packers. smaller towns or the smaller cities that you know have historically been. I would have to say that like Saints and Bad. Packers are yeah. one. I'd have <laughs> or the, to say and the Eagles. <laughs> Saints and Packers are one A and one B. Philly's big. I'd say one A and one B. Uh huh. Packers and Saints in terms of like number one civic fan, community. fan civic community. Yeah, kind of just in terms thing. of like yeah, because like the, some of those bigger cities have so many other sports and some of the you know. Um, well, Buffalo's just got hockey. Yeah, but the Sabers. The yeah. Buffalo is still around. Buffalo is probably top. Oh five. yeah, after we beat the Bills twice, then the Stars beat the Sabers. Buffalo is probably Buffalo is probably top five. Oh, but I'm gonna miss Buffalo. that. <laughs> and then crime goes up. Literally, folks, crime goes up, man. Like, you know, as soon as the Saints lose, well, yeah. and AD says he wants to be traded. Look, suddenly I, there's that's like, what we really need to start getting into right there now. There were like a, there's enough more than the Saints. Dozen, we should talk there about there was like the a Anthony dozen holdups in the last like 24 hours, like in in and around this neighborhood. Dude, let me let me just say like, uh, you know, different different than the obvious no call in the in the NFL and how fucked up the NFL is. That um, I feel no nothing but uh, I have nothing but well wishes for Anthony Davis. And I don't blame him on any front for wanting to leave. Um, since he's been on the team, uh, it's just been a compendium of mistakes by the Pelicans. I don't know what's wrong. I don't have all the answers in terms of uh, what the hell is going on with the Pelicans. I read an article today that was trying to describe it. But, um, you know, whatever it is that they've tried to put together just hasn't worked on any front. Look, it hasn't worked on look, any front. Second, I mean, no experiment that they put together in the six, seven years that he's been here I, I hate has, pa- has panned out. See, I wasn't shocked today, and so many people weren't because I'm he, glad he, he's he, leaving. He, he bought a team, he bought, bought a home in LA. He switched his agents to Clutch, Rich Paul, who also represents LeBron. LeBron. Um, and, and his child, LeBron's childhood best friend. So we all knew he was going. 
And I was very, very pleased to learn this morning that AD told the team that he wanted to be traded, that he was not going to sign his extension, because that gives the team so much more leverage so that we can get a haul for him. So I was very psyched uh, today that AD actually, because we, we have a trade deadline coming up like next week on the 7th of February. And then the, the next they trade. They move it up to the, I thought it used to be the 11th or something. Uh, it's the 7th this year, unless I'm mistaken. And then um, there'll be another trade deadline in July, right? So we have an opportunity to possibly move them. But, but what, what this really, if we don't if we don't move them right now, it gives us the opportunity to, A, not take on players and tr- to try to win now to convince AD to stay. So that's really nice because we might have made some stupid trade that's bad for us in the future to try to convince AD to stay. But now knowing he's leaving, we don't do that. And then we might just clean house. We might trade Drew Holiday. We might get, look, let's get a lot of draft picks. Let's build through the draft. And I'm kind of, like, excited because – um, just yesterday, I rarely call Wheeler, who's our uh, Pelicans NBA guy. I just was like, you know what? I'm ready to start watching a fun NBA team. And here's who I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about picking up on the Dallas Mavericks because of Luka. Or I'm thinking Luka's about good. maybe the Nuggets. And then I'm thinking about like where AD. This was just yesterday before the news broke. I was like, I would love it if AD goes to the New York Knicks and Kevin Durant joins him. That would be super fun. So I'd already kind of moved on, and then and then the news broke this morning, and and I'm I'm pretty pleased. We have lots of we in this current modern era of the last two CBAs in the NBA, we have the leverage to get the best haul for trading a superstar who's demanding it than any team's ever done before, which means we should get very very good players plus draft picks. Unlike the Chris Paul trade, which was a debacle, because we have all the leverage in this case, because we still have him under contract till next year, and he's a 25 year old supernatural Who talent. Might not have hit his prime. That every, Probably that not everybody. Whereas CP3 was a bit older. Yeah. So I'm 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 ready to go back to the. Uh, I'm ready to watch our team tank this year, and just like lose games. I'm gonna go and like hope they lose every game, because there's. There's like this dude Zion Williams and Zion Williams and out of Duke, that's like a once in a generational player that I want to get a shot at, and uh, so I'm kind of excited. About Joel, that. I think you've said once in a generational player like six times in the last six years about six different prospects. No, it's true. No, yeah, I, but it all kind of comes from like a different style of play. Well, they call too, it. So I get it. It's different styles of play. It's what they refer it comes to from like their position. It refers to what what a lot of people call unicorns. Now, there's a bunch of unicorns. There was never a Kevin Durant before. There was a Kevin Durant in terms of style of play. Spencer, you're right. Same with AD. This dude Zion's going to be another one. LeBron was one. So those are all in one generation. I see your point, Jeff. But they're like. This sort, of, this, this sort of this sort of this and Luca's like a kind yeah, of a, had that thirty point triple double or yeah he's like eighteen doubles. years old he's the youngest to ever do that. Um, there's a lot of great basketball Simmons, being played. Right? Yeah. Oh, there's Ben Simmons and, yeah. and and the Sixers, which that could be a trade for us. Who knows? But uh, I, I'm excited to what's be. What's his a, name? Is it Miritich with the uh, Nuggets? No, uh, Miritich was, was with the Pelicans. But you're talking about or, uh, yeah. But, but another itch. But let's itch. talk about itches. The, Pe- the Pelicans just don't seem to be. Uh, look, it's we gotta it's, get rid of the manager. It's it's not a good idea to have uh, Mickey Loomis involved with the. I yeah. don't think you should run a football team and a basketball team. They're no, two totally no. different sports. Not a no. good idea. We're all no, that that, that everybody was jazzed about that at first. That was a mistake. 
it's time for the Saints organization. I like the shared facilities. For the Benson organization to just admit like, that it's a mistake. I like the shared facilities. I like the shared facilities and all that is cool. Well, ownership total, could be totally under the It's bend. a total Benson, it was but it was a mistake. It was a mistake. Right. The but Pelicans should only be in charge of the thing, thing. They don't seem to be committed to to winning. This I I have never seen in just in my cursory watching of basketball a team that had a talent like AD. Like AD oh, is, is a once in a yeah. generational talent who's had a talent no, like that. No, it's not like Shaq fail like left after so going miserably. To the finals. I have never you know? seen that. I have okay. never ever seen a team in basketball that is propelled by superstars do as badly as the Pelicans did and having I hate, and I having somebody like AD on the yeah, team. Yeah, no, it's the, and, I, and we made it's, so many short-sighted moves that even at the time were um, people objected to, including me and lots of people. I mean, Drew but Holiday was really the only really good that move was the they one made. Good move. That's the one good move we made. Um, Maybe y'all could trade him to the Warriors for DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus and AD <laughs> might play together again. Who knows? It, it's happen. just time to admit life. that like the coaching and the management, everything needs to go. Well, the reason we It all needs we, to go. In the summer, we do that, but now that we're in tank mode, we want to keep those guys here. We don't want to switch coaches and get some good guy that's going to try and win the rest of the season. Right no, no, no. I, no. I understand but I think that. In the but summer, I think but we need to need take to this moment right now. as much talent as possible. Well, right. of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I like think now, they, not over the summer. Well, no, we might get a better haul over the summer because it's, it's complicated because Boston, Boston cannot make a trade with us until the summer and they have the best assets to offer. So unless, the, the, unless the Lakers give us knock our socks off in the next seven, 10 days or whatever it is before the deadline, we're probably going to have LA and Boston and then New York and Philadelphia and whoever gets the number one pick. There's no lottery anymore. Betting us that there is. So whoever gets the number, if we wait to trade it until after the lottery, and we know which team has the number one pick, that's which, when we might move them. Yeah, that kid from Duke, Zion. Yeah, yeah. Back. I just, I just want to see the whole thing change, man. I want, I want Gentry gone. I want, oh, Jet, yeah, I want right. everybody gone. Everybody. I want to take a, take a broom and sweep out the Pelicans closet and get rid of whatever this crazy era is oh, yeah. of, of hiring a bunch of people who couldn't figure out how to win with Anthony Davis on the team. Can I, can I tell you a stat? And just a, get rid a, of them. A stat that, mani- that manif- is a manifestation of your complaint with the mismanagement. We weren't supposed to... Our odds of getting the number one pick when we got AD were like somewhere between 7 and 12%, if I remember correctly. The, the Charlotte Hornets, they had like a 40% chance or whatever. They were supposed to get the number one pick Statistically, we leapfrogged from like number four to number one, right? To get AD, and then they got AD's teammate, home space in his team now from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Since that time, believe it or not, I was shocked when I heard this today. The Charlotte Hornets, who I don't think have been in the playoffs since then, have a better they record. Have, have a better. They record. have a better record than the fucking Pelicans, Pelicans since since we drafted AD, <laughs> God. and they got. His sidekick. Do you know how talking. historically is embarrassing that, a, that's that is? That's unfucking real. That's historically you know embarrassing. Talented, do y'all think the Pelican? Do you know how talented you would have to be to make that happen? Like if someone said, "Hey, make this happen," it would take some skill. If someone said, "You just drafted AD, Charlotte Hornets just got fucked by getting the other dude who's never going to be an All Star," see if you can win less games than them. You would have to work at it really hard. That was the out. general tenor of the article that I read was essentially this. I, as a sports writer, cannot figure out how this team fucked this up this bad. 
Right. There's no rhyme or reason to how. All I can say is that they made some of the worst moves ever. And this is, it's unbelievable that having AD on this team, that this team didn't compete for even close to getting to our best uh, moment was the four quarterfinals or anything 4-0 sweep over the blazers last year was that was it where we looked great and if we had played any other team besides the warriors in the second round we probably would have made it to the western it's it's unreal it's i don't know how the pelicans the the failures with ad man it is it is it really is something, man. And I would hate to rewind all the episodes that we had, you know, where you were like optimistic about the future of the Bell and Pelicans for one reason or another, man. Yeah. But uh, but there has never been a better case. Because I was like, always like, we have one of the best players on the planet. Of course, because that's the way the NBA works. Yeah, right? no, like I thought the Mavs squandered Dirk Nowitzki for years, but he constantly got fifty win seasons and. Was you know top four seeds in the playoffs for like ten years in a row. Yeah, right? his, his his right. his big bust before he finally broke through before y'all broke through was like coming up short in the semifinals of the Western Conference. Yeah, like he did that a shit ton, and that was like seen as the worst. Well, it also thing ever. usually like he usually performed well. Like he'd always like get like no, thirty five points and twelve rebounds and shit. But the yeah. uh, those teams were they did not put a lot of talent around him after they let Nash and Finley go. But I'm excited about AD moving forward. I hope he goes to the Knicks with Kevin Durant. The one good thing that could come out of this whole mess is like basketball mecca of the world could be revitalized with like AD and, and Durant. And oh, in New York? Is so I would really be disappointed. How do you know that KD's going to New York? Is that happening already? I think it's like a 10% chance. He's a free agent. He gets to go wherever he wants. To. Right, right. So he hasn't to be traded. Yeah, he's anymore. not chasing titles anymore. And I, he doesn't. You know, look. The one thing you could do to make to cement your legacy, any player, would be to bring a title back to New York. You'd be yeah. Oh yeah, of course. You'd be immediately elevated. To yeah, you would be one the, of the best ever. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, poor there's Patrick. No, there's no, no doubt. Yeah, Patrick. Poor Patrick. Healy. God, that was like 30 years ago. Jesus. Oh, I know. he looks like he's aged 70 years. Have you seen him? I have not seen him. Yeah, we have. We went to a game and we saw but, him uh, up close, man. But look, there's a social media shitstorm about Putin being gay. You see this? I hadn't seen that. It's because require another podcast. We we didn't make it happen yet. We made it happen. Yeah, yeah. There was that thing where um, did this? This was in the New York Times, but it didn't get any play on any news uh, about the um, the anarchist uh, cyber attack on Russia servers no, where no, they no. distributed like 175 so, gigs. So we're at about a buck thirty-seven. So we can so we take it out to about a buck forty-five, yeah. right? And, yeah. and so look. Let's just say this, that Joel and I have been like, you know, one one of the things that really doesn't get written about in this whole uh, it, this stupid Donald Trump era where he's obviously like, you know, just tickling Vladimir Putin's ball sack constantly is, uh, is that the United States hasn't retaliated against right. the Russians um, in, 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 any a, in, in any way. In any way. Outside of like, sanctions. And, and that they're such a weak country that we should be able to uh, we should be able to fuck with them very easily. And so Joel and I were like both of a mindset that like if, if anybody out there is listening and they were like, you know, wanted to 
get a little team together and, and brainstorm about how to fuck with Putin inside of Russia with a propaganda campaign. Right. We're, we're your guys for that. That's and right. we have a two-pronged approach right now. One is that we would create a series of, of uh, mocking videos where we would uh, essentially make Putin gay in the eyes of the Russian public, and we would send out all this disinformation about how Putin is... Uh, you know, less of a man because he's so homophobic, right? So right. the thing that it frightens him the most is him being perceived as gay. I think because that's his such big a homophobic. I think that's his biggest fear. Yeah, right? Let's be clear about that. We don't think calling someone gay is a detraction, but in his mind, in his mind, it is. It is right, exactly. And so we would use. What, calling someone that's all right. Wrong no, no, yeah, no. You laid that out nicely. That's 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 exactly it. But the other prong of this plan would be to show the Russian public how Putin has been absent in Russia because all he's been doing is concentrating his efforts on helping Donald Trump make the American economy good for Americans again. This is and where it gets really interesting. Putin, yeah. that Putin has been aiding Americans and making Americans' lives better. Putin because has our been economy, Donald Trump's pawn. Putin has been Donald Trump's pawn, essentially. Right. Right. That's right. Because that, we have compromise on Putin. Because Putin... That involves... And so suddenly everybody's like, I have to wait in line for bread. <laughs> But the American have the 17 breads. And every city has their own bread. Every city have bread. Bunny bread. You know, Wonder I mean, bread. I'm totally acting on this stereotype left over from the 80s, you know. But anyway, my point is that. From that comedian? Yeah. <laughs> Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> you know Yakov Smirnov, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yakov yeah. Smirnov, man. He was great. That guy. Was Love great. that guy. Uh, Yes, that would be the two-prong approach, man. And then people would be like, what is this Putin, man? We have to get rid of him. Because that's what they do. To their because that's what they do. Bots. That's what happens in Russia. And that was, that was what people said when he came back in. When he saw the video of Muammar Gaddafi getting bayoneted up his butt, He's like, that could happen to me because Russia was having a severe recession at right. the time. And he's like, we have to do something. We have to, you know, and that's when he moved to shore up state power. And he, he took away uh, a lot of assets from oligarchs and he clamped down on the media companies and all that kind of stuff happened in Russia. And then once he accomplished that, he turned his vision to the, the Western society and started trying to fuck with elections in Europe first. And then he turned his attention to the United States. Well, even the Ukraine first with the elections. The Ukraine, right, exactly. Germany, France. That's right, yeah. that's right. But I think, you know, similar to what they say about the United States, the Russians, the same thing applies to them. It's like, yeah. it's like they're like, you are your own worst enemy. You will crush yourself before we ever crush you. And, and it would be, be so much easier. <laughs> right. bore with this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that no, we... We will crush you, man, with your homophobia and the fact that you are so obsessed with the United States. That's right. That's how we're going to crush and you. So not only so the so the big picture, folks, is that Putin is secretly gay, and that Trump, knowing that, has enlisted Putin's support 
to help the American economy galvanize the American, American economy, economy, which by all objective metrics is doing worked. well right now. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Despite the fact that we just lost like $16 billion because of a government shutdown. I'm not saying anything here. Okay. <laughs> they had to throw him off the scent, man. That's right. It was yeah. a, a smokescreen. It was a smokescreen. That's what we did. Okay, so that's it. That's the plan. If anybody out there uh, wants, a to, uh, wants to talk to us about that, uh, if you're in the CIA or if you're in the NSA or something like that, we're willing uh, for pay, Consult. obviously, to consult and uh, fuck with the Russians and uh, and make that happen. You know, because we want to we want to get back at them the way that they. Well, you were Je Jeff. You said that. something. Yeah, you, you you were like, and we're signing off here, but you were like, uh, you can say it best. You were never inclined to fight for this country until now. Yeah, no, I, I never I never had like the sense like 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 when when nine eleven happened, there were a bunch of people like, I'm gonna go fight right. out there. Yeah, people but, like quit, right now. Like, I'm like I'm like I'm like this is in my right? wheelhouse, man. Like, right. If, I'm telling you right now, if you hired me to fuck with this Putin guy, the right. only thing I would require of you is that you make sure that he doesn't poison me with polonium, whatever, <laughs> and and whatever other fucking crazy poisons they have over there. And uh, and I will fuck with this guy so yeah. bad, man. I will I will create Just tear him down. I will create a, a a propaganda campaign the likes of which the, the Russians have never seen about one of their leaders that completely destroys his image in in the eyes of the Russian public. And, and he'd be dead down, like within man. two weeks. Yeah, because that's dead. what happens. Like eventually, just like in Rome. The, the the Duma would assemble, and then people behind closed doors would be like, we have to get rid of him. Now it's time to strike. Right. Putin is weak. There's none you of know? this, should we impeach or not impeach? And then, like, like this is what happens. Like, you're a little too young to remember this, uh, Spencer, but, like, the way the Russians used to operate is, like, you'd wake up one day, and there would be these news reports, and it would be like... Uh, Something's going on in the Soviet Union. We're not certain what. There'd be about three or four days of that, right? Where right. it's like we're uncertain where President Gorbachev is now, right? You know, and you'd wake up one day. It's like President New Gorbachev. Leader. President Gorbachev has been located in a cabin in Siberia. You know, right. like he's like way the fuck out there, and they're just sitting there with the gun, and they're like, "Why don't we kill him right now?" You know, exactly. And, and like that's to how it would happen. You would wake up one morning and suddenly like Boris Yeltsin is president of Soviet Union. Exactly. You know, and you're like, who is this guy, man? <laughs> right. And he's fucking in charge, man. And suddenly there's like tanks and they're blowing <laughs> exactly. shit up, you know, and the former leader is like and listen, I'm serious when I tell you this. Such the story times. about Gorbachev is that they took him and that the Americans had to intervene to save his life. <laughs> right. Because they were like, You mean you mean it's over for Gorbachev? We take him, Yeltsin become power, and then we kill him, right? <laughs> like, right? No, dude. And they're like, no. We're like, no, 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 don't do that. And they're like, no, no, this is the way we do here, you know? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, the old guys would, son, one day, they'd be like, he'd be, they would never, ever admit that the guy was sick, right? You remember that one guy had the big bushy oh, yeah, eyebrows, right? Totally. Well, I forget what his name was, but uh, he was like, he got sick, you know, and then like eleven days later, he was gone, man. Just you know? He's just they were done. poisoning him, man. They're like, yeah, of course he, he looks sick. Of course he was fucking poisoned. They, yeah, they like, they're killing. They just do. They get you, you know. They get you some kind of way. They put the bayonet up your ass, and uh, and and that's it. So uh, anybody out there that wants to hire us, uh, we're available.
Yeah, propaganda is for hire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're ready to do it. Okay, it's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. Folks, Spencer's back. Yeah. Spencer's back. Woo. All right. And uh, we'll catch up with you next time. Gary.